0: together Ephesians chapter 4 and we'll begin reading there in verse 1 it says I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you should walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called with all lowliness and meekness with long-suffering forbearing one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace there's one body and one spirit even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended into the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your word and the privilege that it is to hold it in our hands tonight. And God, I pray that as we're in your word, Lord, you bless these next few moments, God. I pray that we would desire as a church... Lord, in everything we do, Lord, to press on with unity with our focus being you. Lord, bless us tonight. Be with me as I preach. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. Many of you tonight could probably look back on where you were January 28, 1986. And that was a historic date that the Challenger exploded just 73 seconds into flight. And on that day, seven families lost family and an entire nation was mourning for the loss of these people it, it was something that was going to be an exciting time, and we, you heard much about the people that were going up there in that spacecraft, but they all died suddenly and all of that loss was blamed on one inexpensive o ring and records revealed as they went and they researched this uh, space shuttle there was one million components of the space shuttle and in All of that mechanical makeup and all of the things that took part to make that one, one single thing, destroyed the whole. Almost a million parts did their job and one failed and disaster occurred. And as we look at the church, there are many people all across our our world tonight and, and good churches that feel their role within the church is small and insignificant. And some people feel not only is their part smaller and significant, they feel that they're their role is inconsequential as well, meaning there's nothing they could do to harm the church or them not being there isn't going to hurt it, them doing something isn't going to hurt it, and some people may feel they aren't important when it comes to the body of Christ. But like that small O-ring, one failed performance can bring catastrophic results. When not everything works together, bad things can happen. And we understand from that thought unity is a powerful thing you know, I believe the Lord expects us as a church family to walk together in unity for his honor and for his glory and I'm thankful for the spirit in this church and the desire that is on that is that is on this body to do just that and there was a commentator on this thought he said we cannot expect the world to believe that Jesus claims are true and that Christianity is true unless the world sees some reality of the oneness of true Christians but as we look at Christianity, and as we look at it in a more broad sense tonight, if we just go to Christianity on social media, what do we find? We find a lot of division. We find a lot of, we find a lot of fighting. We find a lot of people arguing over silly things. The oneness of true Christians is, is what many people have never experienced or seen. And with that, because of that, there's no desire for them to have what many Christians have. You know, the oneness of two Christians is really an external expression of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And when non-Christians, when Midland, when Odessa looks at Southwest Baptist Church, they should see, and they, and they will see, I believe, people who walk together united in Christ. And these verses, as we look here in chapter 4, tell us that unity is not just a possibility. It is a requirement if we are to be everything that God wants us to be. And we look here in verse 1, there's a call for unity. We look there in, there in the beginning and it says, I therefore. And as we understand that word therefore is, is there, we are drawn back to the previous chapters. And, and, and for instance, we look at the whole book of Ephesians up to this point. And Paul has been laying a foundation of biblical Christian doctrine from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 3 to this point. There's different things that he's referencing, and I'm not going to go over that for for time's sake tonight. All these promises, all this doctrine, all of these things, and he ended up reminding them, very last thing, of what God can do and how God can go exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think there in verse 20 of chapter 3. You know, I love that Paul doesn't begin... The book of Ephesians with verse 1. He said, I, I'm glad that he doesn't say, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. He lays all the groundwork for it, tells us what we, we should be doing, tells us how we can do it, and then there's the charge for that. He's given us all the equipment, all the reminders necessary to follow the instructions and to hold to our part in the church that we find here in the beginning of chapter 4. So he's basically saying here, you know the truth, you've been reminded of the truth, now Walk in it. He says there, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. That word worthy there is the Greek word axios. It refers to having a corresponding way of another thing of like value. So Paul is saying live fitting or corresponding to the calling that is on your life as a Christian. Live fitting to what is expected from an individual that says they are a believer in Christ, a child of God. So to walk worthy means to bring our life into balance or to match what is appropriate for a Christian to do. Striving to live up to what's been done for you and done in you. I saw a story about Alexander the Great. He once met another man named Alexander. And as he saw this man, this man was not known to have a very good reputation. And he, he, was, he was somewhat weak. He was, he, he was uh, imbalanced in his life. And Alexander the Great went to this man and he said, either change your way of life or change your name. That's what we are called to as Christians, to change our life to one that is consistent with the name and with the position, to walk worthy of our calling, to conduct ourselves in such a way that it will further the gospel and that it is worthy of Christ, the one who saved us. So we're his representatives here and our lives need to show it and as we walk in unity, we will be what God has saved us to be, living proof that Jesus makes a difference in all that he touches. We look, we look in our world and we look at unsafe people and some people are unified to a certain sports team. Some people are unified to maybe a, a certain job, some occupation. Maybe some people are united to uh, a certain um, side of politics, which, which really we don't find that a whole lot anymore. We can be, are unified in Christ. Your life, my life, the life of this church will send a message to a lost world that we are different, we are saved, and the supernatural unification that is happening is not because of us, but because of God. So we look at a description here, what does is, what is walking worthy look like? It says there in verse 2, with all lowliness, that word there means humility, an accurate understanding of our moral smallness. That means we would realize our own insignificance while we see the worth of others. The Bible says in the book of Philippians, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You know, We are sinners, nothing. Everything we have is because of God. And and as Christians, we need to make sure in our relationships with other Christians, our relationships in, in the church, we must not allow certain things to hurt our walk or how we treat other people. George Mueller, one of, one of my favorite Christians to read about, he was, somebody, somebody asked him one day the secret of his testimony and how he acted day by day, and he said this. He says, there was a day when I died, utterly died to George Mueller, his opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world, it's approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame, even of my brethren and friends, and since then I have studied to show myself approved only to God. It's a little bit of loneliness, isn't it? That the self. So we look here, the first thing, lowliness. Second thing, meekness. That word means a gentleness or power under control. It refers to having the power to react right against other people, but, but refusing to do certain things for the sake of Christ, similar to what we talked about this morning as we love our neighbor and do good to them and pray for them. You know, sometimes being meek means keeping our mouths shut. Instead of setting someone else straight. Someone once said it means reacting with honey instead of vinegar. You know, our walk should be one of meekness or lowliness. You know, if, if we as a Christian are described as being meek or lowly, we're in pretty good company. You know what Jesus said? When he told them to come unto me, what did he say? For I am meek and lowly in heart. And also meekness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Third thing, long-suffering. The word means to be patient, to be long-tempered. It refers to having a long fuse. And as you look at your life, as you look at your interaction with others, as you look at your uh, home life, do you have a long fuse or a short fuse? What does it take to get you riled up? The Bible tells us in the book of James that every man be swift to hear. Slow to speak, slow to wrath. And then we need to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Those principles should be in our life. And, and often we, we at home talk to our kids about this very thing. We're passionate people. And sometimes when a brother or sister in, in the house may upset the other one, one may act out as they shouldn't. And, and we'll, we'll talk to them about being patient or, or being long-fused here as, as, as I just spoke about. You know, as a dad, there's some things that my kids can do that can cause me to go from zero to 60 in just a few seconds. Can anybody relate with me on that? Things aren't done right or somebody disobeyed. But in order to be the dad that God would have me to be, a longer fuse is needed so I can walk worthy as a father. There was this lady once that went to Billy Sunday and she Heard him preaching on anger, and so she attempted to rationalize her angry outbursts that she often had. And she said this. She said, there's nothing wrong with losing my temper. That's how I handle it. I blow up, and then it's all over, and I'm not holding on to it. I let everything out at that moment. And he said, well, so does a shotgun. (laughs) But look at the damage it leaves behind. If we as Christians aren't determined to be long-suffering and to have a long fuse when it comes to the life of the church, there is disruption and damage that can come to the body of Christ when we allow that anger or that impatience to hinder the unity of the church. So think tonight of your family and your testimony to the world. A a worthy walk needs to be one that is long-suffering. Fourth thing, forbearing in love. The word forbearing means to endure or to put up with. I mean, sometimes giving people space to be themselves. Uh, I just mentioned in Sunday school this morning, we're, not all, we're, we're supposed to love everybody, we may not always like everybody. But that word love refers to God's kind of love, one that is unconditional, one that is eternal. And it doesn't end based on what other people do. It remains constant in spite of injury or what someone may do to us, just as we spoke about this morning. You know, nothing proclaims The genuineness of faith like an unconditional love for brothers and sisters in Christ. What what did Jesus say? He said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if, what? Ye have love one to another. Do you have an enduring love for the brethren? It says forbearing in love. Fifth thing. There in verse 3 it says endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The fifth thing that is walking worthy is all of us, all Christians, working to keep unity. You know, maintaining unity in the church requires more than just a change in the way we walk. It requires hard work. That word endeavoring that we find there means to exert oneself over and over and over again. You know, we're called upon in this first to endeavor to keep or to guard the unity. So once we have it, hold on to it and work to keep it. Make sure we do everything possible to make sure we keep unity. Work hard to ensure that the unity of the Spirit of God wants to produce within the church is unhindered and unbroken. How how do we do that? He says by maintaining the bond of peace. A bond is that which holds something together. You might call it glue. So peace refers to harmony between people. So as we determine within our hearts that we walk in love toward one another, we will be working to see that the Spirit's purpose in our church, what God intends to do right here, is carried out. As we look here, a little bit of context for who he was writing to, there's no doubt that this church of Ephesus was composed of converted Jews as well as Gentiles. And we've, we've been looking a lot at the Jews and the Pharisees on Sunday mornings and we understand those people thought a little differently than the Gentiles did. They had a little bit different standards than the Jews did and, and they, they went back and forth with different things and they didn't eat certain things the other group did. They dressed a certain way the other group didn't. Some of them had worked for years to uphold the law and to have these holy lives and the other side just comes in. They're saved, they're part of the church just like the Jews were. Different opinion on food, clothes, how they raise their children. There's a chance here as he was writing to this church that the Jews, even though they they were saved, might be a little jealous that the Gentiles were given the same privileges that they had. Without having to be initiated by bearing the yoke and the burden of the Mosaic Law. And Paul is warning against this and showing them that they need to work to preserve peace and unity. It was a little harder for them. And that duty is not just on me, not just on the leaders of this church, it's on every individual. It is, it is our responsibility individually to walk in love towards our brothers and sisters in Christ, it is our duty to work for unity in the church. So we see what unity looks like, but what is the focus of our unity? What, is what, what brings us all together? we're to be united in the Lord, what is the foundation of that unity? You know, we look in here in this room, we come from different backgrounds. There are different sides of town. Some people from Midland don't like people from Odessa. Some people from Odessa don't like people from Midland. We have people here from Texas and California, Colorado, South Carolina, Wisconsin, Indiana, Kentucky. Some, probably some more, I think Arizona, right? You know, we sh- we, we're from different places, so how can... We possibly have common ground. He tells us in verse 4, there's one body, one spirit, even as you're called in the hope of your calling. And he's beginning to remind them there of the great possessions that we have in him. He says there's one body. That means we we aren't going at this alone. You need a church family to walk through this life with you. You know, God calls the church family a body. That means each person is valuable and important. And together, different parts make the whole body work. Every part is vital. We're one body. He says one spirit. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma, also meaning breath. And we see each part of the body can be present, but without the Holy Spirit, we're without life. We need the Spirit of God to fill us so that we can walk together. And verse 3 tells us we don't actually create unity. We simply maintain the unity that we've gotten because of the Holy Spirit. What a great thought that is. The Unity we share and we we thank God for is not because of us. It's because of Him. We work to maintain it. We don't allow our flesh to get in the way of one Spirit. Then he goes, one hope. You know the song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You know, Paul is in prison, but he had the same hope. No matter if we're in good times of life or bad times of life, whether we are in trials or temptations or things are going smoothly for us, we all have the same hope and we all are looking to the same God. One Lord, the fourth thing, is Jesus. Jesus is Lord and our unity as a church body is found in Jesus, who's also called the head of the body, the head of the church. What does the head do? Without your head, you'd be in a little bit of trouble getting here tonight, wouldn't you? It's what leads us forward. It's what directs us. And the person who unifies us is Jesus Christ. And he says one faith. This doesn't mean that we all believe in one singular thing for the sake of belief. Because not all belief systems are equal. We all have tonight in our possession the Bible. And the Bible itself is the truth. And I want to remind you tonight, doctrine matters. Our statement of faith matters. What we believe here matters. And that can unify us as we all look to live according to that and with no changes. One baptism. True baptism expresses one truth in identification in Christ. And by submitting to the ordinance, every believer expresses their unity. One faith and one Lord. One Godhead. It says, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That is the peak of unity. One God, one Father. It says there he's above all, our God is above all because he reigns over everything. He's sovereign. He is through all because he is omnipresent. He is in you all because he is near. So God is the Father above, through, and in all who are his people. Did you notice here, all those things we listed, the thing that unifies us is all about him. When your life, when my life, when our desires, our will, our interests start being, stop being about him and they start to focus on us, that is when we will be headed for trouble. So as believers, we may come from different places, but we stand on common ground. You know, unity is a beautiful thing. And we have the most perfect one to be unified to. Last thing quickly, we see the responsibility of unity. He says, but there in verse 7, unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And he continues to go on there in those verses. There's a new thought beginning here, but I want to add this in. Paul is, is speaking of the spiritual gifts that are given to those who minister to the people of the church. We're not going to go there tonight for time's sake, but in 1 Corinthians, we're told there in chapter 12, every believer possesses at least one spiritual gift, and that gift that you have been given was given to you to use for the glory of God to be a blessing and a help to the church. And as each believer uses the gifts they've been given, the unity of the church is strengthened and the church is able to move forward as God intends it to go, and it's an individual responsibility. Every one of us. Your life, your walk, your daily choice to do right. There's an individual responsibility to walk worthy. It's not just an individual responsibility. It's also a God-enabled responsibility. He references the grace given to us by the Lord so we can live with one another here on earth and do what we're instructed to do. We've been equipped and with the equipping we've been given, we are responsible to make a choice to maintain what he's given and maintain that unity as a church. You know, it's hard sometimes to do everything the right way. And we'll make mistakes. And some people say, you know, I've tried to do this, I've tried to treat people this way, I've tried to do this, I can't. I want remind you, God can. I mean, we look at our our theme verse for the year, it's not by anything we can do, is it? It's not even by what we can all collectively do together as a church. It is what we can do by his spirit, by his help, by his power. God has given us everything to be an asset and to bring unity to the church. But if we are not doing what we're doing by his spirit, by his power, we will fail. So as we're wrapping up tonight, are you living in his power? As, as you evaluate your involvement in the church, as you, as you evaluate right now your part out and about in Midland representing the cause of Christ, representing our church, are you living by his spirit, by his power? Are we taking advantage of his grace? Are we walking worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called? In one of Aesop's fables, he described an old man who had several sons, and all these sons were always having a falling out with each other. And he had tried so many times to teach them the importance of them as brothers working together and loving each other and all they could do together to live in harmony. So one day he pulled them together and he gathered a bundle of sticks, a bunch of little sticks, and he put them together and tied them there, and he asked each one of them to take that bundle and to try to break it. And these one of those young men, they tried as hard as they could to break those sticks, but to none avail, they, they, they couldn't get them to break. And then he cut the cord that tied them together, and he told his sons to begin to break them separately. And one by one, with ease, they did that. And then he looked at them and he said, See, my sons, the power of unity. I'm going to encourage you tonight, if we are not walking worthy, if we are not focused on God, if we are not doing our part, with the right heart by the spirit of god we will not be able to strongly stand in the church in the city that god has given us to accomplish what he wants us to do so by his spirit walk in unity walk worthy every every head